So it takes spending time in the community, talking with people that's not scheduled. It's just kind of a candid conversation and then really kind of authentically listening to them. So putting your, as best you can, putting your biases aside and putting your sometimes even architectural education aside and just truly listening to what they need and what they want. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. Hi, welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner, here with the host of Architecting, Adam Wagner. Adam, who's on the podcast today? Oh, Rebecca, we have another good guest. Not one guest, two guests. Two guests. Two guests. So these guests, they have a firm together. Uh-huh. A small firm. It is made up of four people. Two of them are artists. Cool. Two of them are architects. Cool. And they still get a lot of work done. And all of their work is on Native American reservations. Oh, is it Rob Hyatt and Jana Ferguson? <laughs> How did you get so fast? Uh, yeah, the, these guys, they're really great, very thoughtful. Rob started the firm, uh, Pyatt Studio, and he was a professor of Jana. And then she joined the firm right out of school. And she sort of like Adam Harding has always been with Pyatt Studio and is now a partner. And um, yeah, just just doing very thoughtful work that's really engaging with the community. Yeah, we just had a great conversation. Two people that I'd, I'd wanted to meet before. And yeah, that's good. Cool. I'm really excited to hear this one. And you had you worked with Jana and Christopher Kelly, right? Yeah, she was a scholar this last year. She killed it. Yeah. And Rob Rob spoke at He's spoken at a couple actually. That's that's how I first met him, knew him. Mm. Yeah. But he was also he he's all he also helped start the CU design build program. Oh really? Uh-huh. And does he teach now? No, no, not right now. He's a busy dude. I bet. Um getting projects done. So, hope you enjoy it. Hey, look, so modern Denver is great, right? Yes, we love them. Yeah. Local stories about good architecture. And a new profile about you and architecting in the fall issue. Yeah. Yep. But, it, you know, modern Denver is not just all about the magazine either. We're now coming up on the best part of the year, Denver Design Week. So from October 16th through the 24th, there are a ton of events and sessions and talks put on by Bonner and Denver. Yeah, there's a lot of really great ones. One that I'm really looking forward to is a session with the photographer James Florio and his work with uh, Ensemble Studio and a new book coming out looks really great. Yeah, there's going to be lots of great events uh, as well as a live architecting show entitled The Voyage Out, Stories from the Early Days of Colorado's Top Architecture Firms. This is going to be with Stephen Dinia, Kevin Nguyen, and Joanne and Hans from ArcDen on October 18th at 11.30 at Pair Workplace Solutions. Come and check it out. Go to www.denverdesignweek.com to check out all the events and reserve your tickets now. 
Uh, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. You know, it's so funny. Like the last time we we talked, I just felt like this interview is like four months away, and now it's <laughs> here. Just life is <laughs> barreling on. Yeah. Uh, so did we actually? We were like, <laughs> oh, it's today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always, I always say in my first introduction emails, like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you more information the week before, and then it's like two days before. Oh shit! Here's the here's the link. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Well, good was... timing. I'm two days behind on my email, so it worked out <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, that that was good. Uh, I was like, man, I hope hope they got that email. And uh, yeah, you wrote back. I did. I, I thought you were worried. I was like, I better email him back. He's probably worried. You know, I believed in you guys. I knew you'd be here. You know, some, some people may be a little flakier, but... Uh, That's yeah. what I said. I was like, he knows. Yeah, he but knows but most architects are, are usually pretty <laughs> behind in stuff, so... Oh, yeah. Just today, I feel like I've just been, like, meeting to meeting, and I'm like, when when do I when do I get to draw? I, uh I haven't been drawing. But how, how do you how do you run a small firm for so long, guys? Just tell me. <laughs> tell me uh, no, secrets. we were we were hoping to to glean that info from you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep saying that. That that's the, the whole reason for this podcast. You just yeah. just so I can suck suck knowledge from all of you guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. But tell me about that space. I like the the wood wall behind there. Uh, where we, you at? You, you told us that you needed cross lighting. Mm. You wanted really good lighting, so we had to come to Jana's house. Well, it's a not it's a condo. I wouldn't call it a house. It's a little studio, but this is a behind us is a Murphy bed. Ah, oh, nice. It's just folded up, but it's a plywood Murphy yeah, bed. Yeah, what you so. can't see is a three hundred and fifty square foot? Three hundred and sixty. Yeah. Three hundred and sixty square 60. foot micro apartment condo. Nice. And it's you good know, lighting. Yeah, it looks like it. it looks sweet. You know, mm-hmm. Re- Rebecca and I, when we first uh, got married, we graduated, got married, and started our firm. And we were in a 350 square foot studio, and we were working out of there all day. And we did a Murphy bed too, but we, we then we built a, a couch that folded down from the bottom. Cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. So but I but just ours have was a... just OSB. It wasn't nice plywood like yours. But... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's birch. Um, and I did something similar, but it's just, it's basically like a, I got it from Belgium. Like it was handmade in Belgium with, um, organic wool and it's basically just like a big floor cushion. So it doesn't have a back, you know what I mean? But it's just, the Murphy bed folds down over it. Yeah. Yeah. But our, our office is, the lighting is not great right now. And then my house is, you know, I have a 17 year old and a 14 year old and I can't control what kind of music they play and how loud it is. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if that would be conducive. Um, the lighting's good. The acoustics are bad because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to find a good, a good spot. Uh, I have this, I have this dream of building an ADU back behind me with a nice office and this beautiful yeah. recording studio, but uh, that should happen really fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so are you, are you, your office is in Boulder, is that right? Our office is in Boulder. Right now it's at my house. Um, I've got a, like a, what, it's really a garage in terms of the typology, but it was always intended to be a studio. Mm. And we've converted that to the office. We, um, 
We did that after COVID because unfortunately we signed the lease for a new office right when we weren't able to use the office because mm. we had the stay at home order. So we paid the lease for a whole year. And then we were like, we're just going to kind of tighten our belt, regroup, convert the studio to the office. We're still working remotely because we're on site so much mm. that it, that it seemed like it would work out. So that's where we are currently. <laughs> that's pretty good timing. And it, at least you didn't sign the lease and be paying for a space we that you did, didn't use. Or, we did oh, sign did. the lease. Oh. Yeah, we did. We we paid it for... In, I think we signed it. The lease started in February 2021 or 2020. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. No, it was like yeah. right before. So it was very painful. <laughs> oh, no. Chris will never forgive me because he tried to convince us to, to share their office. And we were, we were really going to consider it. And then we're like, no, we're going to expand. We're going to hire a bunch of people. We don't want to take up your space. You know what I mean? And so every time we go out, he doesn't let me forget, you know, that we could have shared his office, which was completely empty now. You know, that was Chris O'Hara? Yeah. With NYO? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've threatened to share offices a few times. So... <laughs> Yeah, they they've sort of made some offers to me. They they'd be fun people to share with. I they, think they uh, would absolutely. You should take them up on it. They've got a pretty nice setup in Denver too. Hmm. Yeah, I think I I think I will. Uh, they listen to all these, so uh, maybe they'll shoot me an offer right they, over. They do. They're more fun than we are, so <laughs> I, I figure like our our fun factor would go up a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I might become like an alcoholic if I spend too much time around them, I think. Yes. But, <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty sure that goes with the territory. Because it's not exclusive to the AIA conferences. That's pretty much how they operate. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. It, it is uh, fun, though. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. It seems to be yeah. working for them. Nice. They, they they're yeah. doing great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's funny. We've well, got cool. a, like a happy hour with them, like with Chris, at least. Thursdays at Rayback um, in Boulder, hmm. and so we do we do a lot of schematic design meetings there. Hmm. Um, Thursday afternoons, you have to join us. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, cool. Let's see, there, there's some kind of clicking in the background or something. Is it the dog um, chewing on a bone? Is that that's, Riley chewing on? Yes, a bone? I was going to apologize yeah. for that in advance. Oh yeah, you do. You have a dog <laughs> named Riley too. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we talked about that at the. At last time i saw you <laughs> that's yeah. funny you know it's yeah, like i can um i can create her and give her a quieter chew if that's that'd be required. that'd be that'd be nice it, you yes, know it's all these really things fast. where i'm getting better and better at like hearing these little ticks and i don't care about it during the interview and then during the podcast i'm like why why did i yeah. let that rub my shirt the whole time or <laughs> yeah. i have yeah. i have some uh bubble wrap on the outside of my door so my riley doesn't scratch on the door because he's there terrified of it yeah. But yeah. that, that was a learning process. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll get, let me get her that right now. Cool. So you're back from vacation. How did that, how was that? Back from vacation. Yeah. Let's see. When was that? that so yeah, we went to LA a little while ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, yeah, that was awesome. That was a good trip away. Or maybe you just took a break kids. from the podcast because. That's I what saw it, your post. That oh said, yeah. yeah the vacation. Know, back from summer yeah, vacation. Yeah. 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 So actually what I did was uh, I I quit at Open Studio and I started my own firm. And it was oh. just like, it was a lot of work. And so I, 
I said, wow, I need to take a few weeks break. And then it turned into two months break. Uh, oh, wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. But, yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. It's the third time so I started just, this firm. So, so just you or are you going to, is your wife going to join you or? You know, I don't, I don't pay well enough to get her away from Ginsler. Uh, yeah. So she's going to stay there. And uh, actually I have a, a partner, a good friend in uh, Connecticut. And so we're partnering and kind of doing a remote, a Very remote cool. firm. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's been, it's been fun. Uh, just a lot, a lot goes into starting a firm, right? Just there is bank yeah. accounts and lawyers and, uh, insurance. Uh, yeah. Money. Um, yeah. Well, I'm actually going to be doing a, uh, a panel discussion for design week, um, with about startups and kind of like stories of starting up and so that could be fun um we're we're a forever startup I was gonna say, we always say we're we've been a startup for 10 years yeah we've been a startup for 10 <laughs> years for 10 years it's one of my favorite quotes the other one is it takes 10 years to become an overnight success <laughs> you just gotta keep rolling on that one does that roll in nicely to to who are you that question sure can you start up Sure. Yeah. Um, who are we? So, um, well, Jan and I are representing a kind of a small team. So we're going to kind of talk about the team, Hyatt Studio, and then, you know, our own individual stories. But yeah, we're a team of four. My wife, Heather Conpyatt, works um, on the team. She, she's an owner and partner, and um, she's an artist. So mm. she's not here, but we'll We'll refer to her. And then Walt Perrier, who's a uh, uh, Ogallala Lakota artist from Pine Ridge who lives in Denver, hmm. um, who works with us on most all of our projects at some point. Um, he's hmm. also involved with many things, but um, he's part of the team as well. So, And then Jan and I, we've worked together as kind of the two architects on the team for nine years, a little bit more than nine years hmm. together. So... I mean, we are kind of like a, a partnership in terms of the architecture because we've similar training and philosophy. So um, it's easy for us to talk about the firm together because we do all of the design work and stuff together as, as the two architects. But Yeah, that's interesting. A firm of half half artists and half artists and half, half architects. architects. And then, and then my my background is in art originally. I went to Otis College of Art and Design. I yeah. thought I would be a painter, hmm. um, but then but then chose architecture through environmental design into architecture. Um, so I think I I have one foot kind of in that world, and then and then the architecture world. They're very different worlds, um, but I I'm really I have enough kind of interest in the technology and the science and, and the, you know, engineering that, you know, really keeps me engaged um, when we're yeah. working on the projects. But. Well, and, and where did you grow up, Rob? Like how, where did that kind of come from? Well, I, I was born in Darien, Connecticut. Um, oh, really? To kind of a white huh. waspy family from, from Connecticut. Huh. And uh, my mom and dad were divorced. So I lived with my mom. Um, she passed away when I was eight. So at that point, I lived with my grandmother. And at a certain point, I had to go live with my dad. He he was battling my grandparents for custody. Um, and he lived in rural Missouri. 
and very different culture, um, very kind of remote, rural, backwoods, Missouri. I did live there for three years, but then I left and moved back in with my grandparents. Um, so I'm, and that was by that point, they had moved to California to San Luis Obispo, kind of central coast. So I kind of feel like I have East Coast and West Coast roots. Um, and Missouri, yeah. Missouri was just yeah. enough to know to, you know, appreciate how diverse the United States is. <laughs> Very shallow then, roots, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then um, and then I moved to Colorado when I was, you know, after our, maybe my late 20s, um, early 30s, and uh, I've been here ever since. So how did that, how did that background direct you into art school? Do you think? So, um, well, um, on my, you know, my, I think my mom's side of the family was the, the greater influence, kind of direct influence, more positive. My uncle was a creative writing professor and he went to Stanford and he was very creative. My mom was very creative. My sister was an art therapist. Hmm. So I feel like the, it, it, art and creativity was just something that I grew up with. And so I always kind of drew and, and appreciated art. We'd always go to the museums and galleries. Um, so it was just something that I kind of grew up with. Um, I don't think I ever questioned that I wouldn't be an artist. I think, you know, I just knew I would go to art school, but then, then I really kind of questioned it once I was in art school <laughs> um, and decided that architecture really kind of encompassed all of my passion and interest and, uh, and so that's kind of the direction that I ended up in. But I still paint and I'm still, you know, pretty involved with art. My wife, Heather's also a fine artist. And and so it's definitely something that's a big part of our, our house. So what was that time period between graduating undergrad and then going into architecture? Was it a direct, was it a direct thing that you knew? No, nothing that I did was direct. I, <laughs> I would be the kind of poster person for unconventional um, path. And so, um, you know, everything I did kind of led me in different directions. It took me a long time to get focused with architecture. Architecture is, is really difficult to, you know, kind of find, you need mentors. And so, um, I really decided to go to the environmental design program at CU Boulder. Hmm. And, and even though I had a, uh, you know, I've been studying fine art, I kind of backtracked and went into the environmental design as an undergraduate, hmm. um, and then went to CU Denver as a as a graduate student. So it was kind of, I think, over a span of six years or seven years before I kind of found my path. Hmm. Um, so pretty unconventional. Yeah. And then Jana, where where did you grow up? Um, so I am from Colorado originally. Um, there's not many of us left, but yeah. uh, my family's been unicorns. Yeah, <laughs> we are unicorns. Um, I'm sixth generation Colorado born, so wow. my family's been here. Well, my mom's side of the family's been here a long time. Um, most of that family is actually from Elizabeth, Colorado. Uniquely <laughs> enough, um, so I grew up uh, suburb south of Denver, um, which is you know as far as architecture goes, pretty vanilla, uh, but. I did um, quite a few service trips through a church that I grew up in, um, mm-hmm. and we did construction projects, um, and I went, you know, participated in various throughout 
Central America. So I went to Guatemala and Belize um, hmm. and then some in the U.S. too. So Florida for hurricane, some hurricane um, relief and repair. And then uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina hmm. and Kansas after the tornado there too. Yep. So I get it quite a few service trips. So my arc, my path to architecture, the built environment was, I always knew that I was interested in building um, and, you know, construction and those types of things. Um, Were your, was your so, family in the building trades or? My dad's a civil engineer, hmm. um, water resources. So he does mostly um, dams. Um, hmm. And then my mom was a PE teacher. <laughs> so, uh, <Cool>. yeah. <laughs> So, so then you, you, you went on a lot of those trips and had a lot of kind of hand-on experience. And then, and so it was like, yeah, architecture, this is, that's what I'm doing. And I'm here in Colorado and I'm good to see you. Or... So, well, I actually, I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew I liked to build stuff, but I didn't necessarily um, think that that was like a career path necessarily. And I think some of it has to do with suburb like suburban education you know mm. what i mean You're, it's very mm -hmm. generic we didn't have wood shop or drafting class or you know any of those types mm. of trades um so i wasn't i wasn't thinking about it in terms of a career necessarily um i actually thought i wanted to do i had i played basketball and i was um, an mm. athlete in high school and i had a whole slew of injuries torn acls and broken oh, arms and that kind of thing so i actually thought i wanted to do um kind of orthopedic medicine really hmm. um but i went to see you um and thought I, I just went undecided i wasn't sure you know kind of what i wanted to do um and then the first year freshman year i took a course in environmental design just because i was trying to kind of put my feelers out um and i loved it so that was that kind of set my trajectory you saw the architecture students and you said hey look look how pale and uh, tired they look this is fun <laughs> let's let's get in with these guys uh, yeah. No, I think I was I was blissfully naive at that point. <laughs> I just yeah, I just enjoyed that one the intro to environmental design. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So then you went through that through that program, and mm -hmm. how did that sort of change your mind about architecture, or or just open up open up the the world to you? Yeah. So uh, when I started undergrad in two thousand eight, and then I graduated in twenty twelve. Um, and I think it was 2011 that I actually had Rob as a studio instructor. Hmm. Um, so that's how him and I met. Um, and I stayed involved with different service trips, um, throughout college too. And the summer before I took Rob's studio, I'd been in um, Jamaica for hmm. three months, just building latrines in rural Jamaica, which is, you know, not glamorous in any sense of the word, but, um, I, it was really fun. And, uh, we kind of, the first day of studio, we sat outside the library and kind of talked about what we'd done that summer. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of talked about some of that stuff. And then right off the bat, I think, you know, Rob had started NASHI, the Native American Sustainable Housing Initiative, right at that time hmm. or around that time. Yep. And so I think um, from a kind of social justice uh, perspective, we kind of connected that way. Um, so, so, yeah, and then I graduated in 2012. Um, and then worked for Pyatt Studio, you know, full time after that. Hmm. Um, and then. I so, yeah, I mean, Jan has worked for Pyatt Studio since then. So no other firms basically for nine years. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I worked for Pyatt Studio from 2013 to 2015. 
or I guess 2012 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to grad school at Portland State in mm-hmm. 2015 um, and graduated in 2017. Worked, you know, didn't didn't work full time for Pyatt Studio, but about 10 to 12 hours a week yeah. for Pyatt Studio during that time. Um, so that's like an interesting school to me. So how, how did you choose Portland State? So I, my graduate school choices were really between three. It was Tulane, uh, University of Minnesota, and Portland State. Hmm. Um, University of Minnesota and Portland State are the only two programs with public interest design certificates. Hmm. Um, so ultimately, I chose between those two. And Portland State, I had more uh, financial help. So that's what yeah. the decision. <laughs> so what did, yeah. what did that what did that experience look like for you, especially in comparison to the environmental design? What did you gain from it? Um, it really, I mean, it really reinforced a lot of the kind of um, values that I had learned, you know, through my time at, at uh, CU and through Rob and the Native American Sustainable Housing Initiative. Um, you know, I've always kind of seen architecture as a um, having social responsibility, whether we want it to or not, or whether mm. we intend for it to or not. Um so, and the public interest design certificates really, um, you know, taking classes that are, uh, there's a internship, so you, you, there's a project that you focus on um, either in Portland um, or throughout the U.S. that the Center for Public Interest Design um, is working on. Um, and that's with Sergio Palleroni, who's hmm. one of my heroes. Basically, I um, really had admired his work. And in fact, when we, founded the NASHI program. It was really heavily influenced by the basic initiative, which he had been doing, you know, at UT Austin or at, um, uh, in Washington and then at, at Portland. So he's, he was just a a huge influence, I think on our kind of philosophical approach. Yeah. And he did a fantastic job of developing projects, um, throughout Portland. Like we did, um, different, um, kind of pod housing for folks experiencing homelessness, um, everything from that through ADUs, developing ADUs within the city. Um, and then there was some work with the um, with different tribes and in Northern California, there was just kind of stuff all over the place. Um, so he was really, really talented at developing projects because he has yeah. a similar philosophy as it relates to design. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, a really, it was a pleasure to have him as a mentor and an instructor um, hmm. during that time. So then, Rob. So, kind of getting back to how how you, you became the firm that that Jana got into. So you graduated from from CU, and then what was your next step? Uh, well, I mean, I think that um, really. So I I had Rick Sommerfeld as an instructor when I was in hmm. school. Rick was teaching back um, when I went through the program. I was kind of an older student, so um, it's not a, a you know, an age difference so much. He, he had been at yeah. CU for a long time. Rick had been a huge influence on me. He was one of my, you know, mentors, I would say, and and became a really good friend um, over the years. And so um, I think that, and that was at CU Boulder and at, at CU Denver when I started teaching in Denver. Um, so we started kind of working on the design build program together. But, you know, after I had... Rick, I kind of went on to a certain um, path that that was influenced, I think, by Glenn Merkitt and Lake Flato Architects, Brian McKay Lyons, 
you know, kind of all of the, the kind of folks that are interested in place and regionalism. Um, and so in my senior year, I got to um, kind of trade out one of my final studios for the Glenn Merkitt masterclass. Hmm. And so I, I did that. That was at CU Denver. Um, traveled to Australia, um, kind of studied there through the masterclass, did a bit of work and, and did a presentation on the way back, kind of did more um, work after the class. And that kind of, you know, capped my experience at CU Denver. I had such a great experience with um, the College of Architecture and Planning. They were very supportive, very flexible with kind of creating your own um, kind of major in a sense or or what you're specifically interested in and kind of bringing that in to the studio. So um, that kind of set me off to start my own firm. I ended up doing an internship with Lake Flato Architects hmm. right after I graduated, um, spent time in Austin or um, San Antonio, Texas at their office there, and then um, started the firm kind of in earnest back in Boulder after that when I started teaching at CU Boulder. So um, I had just a sole proprietorship and then I taught full time. So it was kind of like, you know, many of us where we kind of subsidized the office with teaching as we kind of got it off the ground. And I did that for all eight years I, I was there and hmm. the work just kept growing. And finally it reached a point where, um, it was it was either teaching or the practice because you know the academic calendar controls everything it's very difficult to you know go out on site when you've got to start your studio in august like it's it's a commitment and and rightly so it's really an important job um so at a certain point i i decided that it would be best for me to stop teaching and focus on the firm um and that was right around the time that it became clear that it just couldn't be me kind of as a sole proprietor you know it had to be more of a collaborative team. And so we organized Pyatt Studio from what it used to be to Pyatt Studio Inc., which was a partnership between Jana, my wife, and myself. So there's three owners. Um, but, you know, in extension, we've got the same team on every project. So we work with Chris and Julian on all of our projects. Hmm. And we have since the very beginning. So since, you know, 2001 or something, I, I think we've been working with Chris when they first started um, their firm. Um, and then PCD Engineering um, is the MEP engineer, um, and then KLJ uh, as the civil. And we're in kind of an um, integrated design team. So we work on all of our projects as the team, you know, from the beginning through, through the end. So it's very collaborative and much, much more than, you know, when I was just doing work on my own. Um, I, I think that they're really, should be considered two different firms in a sense, hmm. because, you know, it's just that much of a dramatic change from when we kind of decided to, to become a team from when we were just me. So what did that look like? The, the first kind of project that sprung you or, or how many so days the, did you have until the first project? Or Yeah. So we had started working with tribal communities um, hmm. back in 2010 and um, so we, but those were academic projects. And then eventually they kind of turned into um, firm projects. And so um, they've gotten bigger and more complex pretty much every year since. 
And so now, you know, we're working on, you know, much larger, um, much more complex community development projects like 50 acres subdivisions, mm. mixed use subdivisions, or much bigger community projects. Um, some of the projects we partner with larger firms. So when, when there's a typology or um, a project that's maybe, you know, not our immediate expertise, we'll partner with a larger firm. One of those would be BNIM Architects out of Kansas mm. City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've done a lot of work with them over the last 10 years. Um, and we just completed the um, the Lower Sioux um, Incubator Project with BNIM, uh, where we were, you know, basically 50-50 design team members on that. that that's been really fun over the last three years. So we just got back from that final walkthrough with with Craig Scranton, who's one of the owners of BNIM, one of the mm. principals. Um, and that's been really helpful for us because small firms, you know, we're always limited by our expertise, like what we've done previously. And if you're not working for a firm, you're not really able to bring in new typologies, new knowledge that, you know, unless we all go back to school, but at a certain point, you've got to stop, stop doing that. Stop getting degrees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop getting degrees. And, um, uh, just kind of embrace the profession. And, and so we're always looking for partners to, to kind of expand that. So BNIM is definitely one of them. Yeah. I built, I built a, uh, a, a huge wood model of Kansas city up in like the attic of their huge building one time. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. One summer. And, uh, yeah, they, they had they had like the worst table saw up there, and they oh, had wow. another architect up there, and and the wood got caught in the saw and oh, kicked, no. kicked back at her, and I thought she lost her eye, like her oh, whole no. face was just bloody. And we table had saws are e- very EMS dangerous, and <laughs> and uh, and it's, luckily it just hit above her eye, but that that's my B and I am experience. So <laughs> I, were they're you definitely in better than City? that, but. Uh, yeah, I spent, I spent a summer there and I went to Kansas state. So, um, Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, definitely. Reason. Mostly. Cool. I'm, I'm a Kansas guy. Yeah. But yep. so how did you guys get connected with the, the native American community and, and those kind of projects? Um, so the native American community is very small in the sense that it's very big in the sense that it encompassed the entire, you know, North and South America. Yeah, and hundreds, um, hundreds of tribes, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's very small in that um, the communities communicate. You know, they might be um, separate tribal nations, but they have relatives in different nations and such. So it's a small world. And so if you complete one project and you do it successfully and build relationships, then it just makes sense that you would have opportunity to do another project somewhere else or with with someone else. And um and so we literally built our our firm around each project one at a time, trying to um, complete them um, successfully and then kind of growing from that. It turned out to be 100 percent of our firm at this point where um, it was it wasn't intentional per se, but it is it is a fact that right now all of our work are with tribal nations. Um, and so it was one project, you know, referral after another. The, the first project, though, was the the Crow Housing yeah. Authority yeah. in Montana, right? So, did? yeah, we did a project with the Crow Nation. Um, it was a series of affordable homes um, using compressed earth block and setting up a workforce development um, 
program. That was through the University of Colorado, through the Mortensen Center for um, Developing Communities, and uh, was one of the faculty members on that project. Mm. And um, and so it was really from from that that project had a huge impact on me personally because we spent so much time on site and and kind of seeing the tremendous housing need and the challenges that a lot of the Native American communities are facing um, related to housing. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of struck me at, that it was just an important area that, um, that you know, needed some, some uh, support. So we worked on that uh, for a number of years. And then we did another project for the Housing Authority on Pine Ridge. Hmm. Um, uh, Jana was on that project. And then we worked on a really long and ambitious and amazing project um, for the Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation on Pine Ridge. Um, and that project we worked on for almost 10 years, um, which was a big 30-acre mixed-use development. Hmm. And um, we worked on that with Chris and Julian. Uh, that project um, was on display in the Cooper Hewitt in New York. Um, and we all kind of went out there and had a, a great time together when that project was done. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned a little bit earlier that um, the NASHI, the Native American Sustainable Housing Initiative, which was kind of in between Crow and OSLH, the Housing Authority on Pine Ridge. Yeah. Um, and that was more of a, also had an educational mission. So it was kind of um, both for students in trades from Ogallala Lakota College, from Pine Ridge, um, and then architecture students from CU. And I was um, one of those students. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But we built the on Thunder Valley, the big master plan that we did the um, design for, we built the first straw bale um, house. Mm. Um, that was the first building part of that. That was yeah. part of that development. Yeah. Um, and that was in 2011 through 2013, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as a as a specialization where you're you're sort of specializing in a a client's t- a client type and not necessarily like a building type, right? Because you're able to do different uh, typologies of housing and community centers and things like that. Yeah, um, that's interesting. so it 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 really is more of a housing. It started off more as a housing typology kind of a specialization because we had done a lot of research grants with HUD. And um, so we had some expertise that that uh, was important for some of the projects that we were working on. Um, so it kind of started out really just focused on housing. But then, you know, Indian country is developing, so there's just lots of opportunity for work. And so it just kind of led to other typologies. So I don't think that it was necessarily specializing in Native American work. It's just that our clients are Native American tribes, but the work, you know, like the the incubator really is a school in a sense. It's a community building and a school. Um, and many of the other projects are either youth centers or art schools or community buildings. And really, there's some, you know, definitely some unique um, conditions to incorporate into the into the project, but um um, they're like any other school, really, or any other youth center, in a sense. They just are located within tribal nations. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think 
kind of to piggyback off of that, you know, I think outside of Indian country or outside of Native American communities, there's kind of a tendency to just say, to kind of generalize and say, you know, Native Americans. Mm. Um, but the truth is, is there it's so diverse. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, and I think that, you know, the, the work that we did on Pine Ridge obviously looks very different than the work that we did at Taos Pueblo. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's really good design is place-based and it's culturally relevant and it's um, meaningful. Um, and whether it's in on Pine Ridge or, you know, urban Denver, yeah, um, it's just important that it's place-based. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what we try and what we try and focus on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, Rob talking about Glenn Merkett and Jana, you, you did that program too as well. Or, yeah. yeah, I did. And then, it was about 10 years after Rob did it. So I yeah. think he did it in 2007. Yeah. And I did it in 2017. Yeah. So he, he might have been just a little bit slower, but, or, or yeah. maybe, maybe smarter. I don't know. But, yeah. and, yeah. and, uh, yeah. And I just heard Rick talking about how much he did the same experience and how much that mm-hmm. impacted him. And how are you able, and what, what does your design process look like? Especially with, you know, it's interesting keeping that same design team, which is, I think, pretty unique and special. And then, the two of you or four of you working together so much, mm-hmm. what does your sort of design process look like? And, and when you really nail, nail a project, what is that? What does that look like? Well, do we ever really nail a project? I mean, I feel like we, and please tell me how, yeah. Yeah. We, we <laughs> yeah. end up, you know, we, we run out of time. <laughs> and so at, then we're finished basically at that point. I mean, couldn't you des- keep designing mm-hmm. on every project yeah. if, if you had the time? So I think there's real constraints. Well, it's hard to, I think, I think it's hard to know, you know, within 10 years, because I think a truly successful mm-hmm. or nailed projects for lack of a better term is one that's, you know, supports a community 10 years, 20 years down the road. Um, I think we're pretty committed to being on site. So we do um, probably more site analysis than um, maybe many folks might. Um, I think that, you know, we either live on site or stay on site or we're there um, an awful lot um, to just be there, you know, and then um, it's very much like the, the process that we would, you know, imagine we would learn in like the, the master class, um, lots of drawing, lots of, of critical thinking, critique, model building. You know, it's it's kind of a classic architectural process that we're still trying to hold on to in a digital world with with tighter schedules. Um, but we're we're committed to it because we believe it yields better design, better architecture. Um, I think that was one of the the you know, kind of important um, parts of doing internships with like Lake Flato or, or um, getting to see how, you know, the ghost program operates or Brian McKay Lyons office operates. Hmm. There's a commitment to architecture that, you know, there's no shortcuts. You just, you're, you have to be committed to it and it's really hard mm-hmm. and it's not easy to be good at it. You know, you can still go through all of that effort and be, and not really, be good at it. You have to have that kind of um, constant um, check and balance. So we're we're better because our team is is diverse, and it's not you know myopic. It's not like 
following one train of thought. It's like very diverse with lots of criticism. Um, you know, I was listening to, to the podcast, um, from Renee and she obviously has mm. some similar, um, uh, mentors or, or philosophy. And like, mm. I remember Glenn saying, you're only as good as your last compromise. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my purest, you know, self loves that quote. And then I realized that, um, I have to compromise all the time. So it's finding the mm-hmm. compromise for us becomes really important. And, but without compromising on, you know, the quality or, you know, goals the goals, or- but you still, as a team, you can't, you can't be so focused on one thing. You have to like realize, I don't know. Glenn also said um, that you have to, kind of recognize that it's that one thing that you love the most that you have to give up in order to solve the, the design. Hmm. So, so sometimes hmm. you really, it is that, that one thing and you have to like, just be like, okay, I love that, but it, maybe it's not this project. You know, maybe I can still love that in a vacuum, but hmm. it's, it's not really applicable here. So we get caught up in when we're working on certain things, but I think that being flexible and really being committed to partnership is is where that our process excels yep um Um, i also want to mention that we do um you know rob mentioned we do a lot of stuff you know spend a lot of time on site doing um kind of site analysis and with that we do a lot of community engagement which i think in the architecture world currently is um kind of becoming best practice which i think actually think is really really awesome um but i also think it could potentially turn into something where that's not, it's a box to check as opposed mm-hmm. to being, you know, kind of authentically, we want the community to influence or have input in what we design. So I think, um, and it's hard, that's hard to do in one meeting, like, especially in a community that we're strangers to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it takes, you know, spending time in the community, talking with people, that's not scheduled. It's just kind of a candid conversation mm. and then really kind of authentically listening to them. So putting your, as best you can, putting your biases aside and putting your sometimes even architectural education aside yeah. and just truly mm. listening to what they need and what they want. Cause you know, architects have a very, very valuable skill set, but I put that skill set kind of in the same line as assets that you find within the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think listening, I think that that can't be, you know, kind of um, overstated. It's just, it's a soft skill that we need to really learn how to do. Um, Cause listening isn't waiting to tell somebody what you think or, you know, to find that pause to like jump in and, and say anything. It's like not saying anything and just listening. I think that that's really important and we should, we should stress that a little bit more. Um, it wasn't necessarily um, kind of part of my architectural education. So it took me a long time to really kind of pick that up. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that, with that a lot of, of sort of dying to yourself and like letting the architecture go sometimes, you know, and, and you have to, and I always, I have no, I have zero patience. And I think if I don't make this project good, I'm never going to make another good project and, and, and right. what it, whatever good means, right. Of, of holding yeah. it up to the architectural standards that you right. kind of created. Um, 
but what so what what are some of the projects that that you think are kind of most successful in those in those ways or or in other ways well i think that the our most recent project the incubator project in in minnesota um you know that project is very meaningful to the community and that means a lot to us um i know the process that that it took to kind of realize that building and it was very committed to listening and to community engagement. Um, there was a lot of research that, that went into it. And I think that, you know, that particular building was a typology that was complex because it, it was like parts, you know, kind of almost government civic building um, and then part school and part, you know, commercial, you know, kitchen and, and elder center and youth center. It was like a very complex kind of a group of, of activities that, that this um, building will support. And so there was a lot of stakeholders. And so the community engagement was pretty complex and, and just um, finding ways to reach out and, and listen to, to what everyone had to say until, until we heard everything that needed to be said. And then figuring out how within the team to kind of design that, you know, it, it is, it was, you know, a lot of the work that we do is almost co-designed with the community, it's not, it's not so much, uh, you know, this like work of art from the, from the practice. A lot of times, we'll, you know, our contracts require us to give copyright to the client. A lot of our projects, we're not allowed to show them at all or even hmm. talk about them. Hmm. So I'd say more than half, you know, we can't ever publish or show or, wow. or talk about. So, you know, I think that, I think it's just a little bit different from what we understand is kind of the um, the model practice that you're trying to to kind of grow into. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it almost seems like some of the things that we've learned um, make a pro like one of our projects successful is actually sort of in conflict with yep. like good business practices, yeah. if you will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're you're spending so much time on site. Yeah. Like it makes no sense from a business standpoint, but Ultimately, the projects are better because of that. So it's sort of a little bit counterintuitive. Well, that's why we're only four people you know, <laughs> still after all this time. And, and what does that look like when you loop in Heather or Walt into the design process? When, you know, when do they come in? What kind of role do they play? Uh, so Heather's the um, kind of the office manager and and um, she's involved in everything all the time. Um, when we do like, if, when we go through the design phases, we're going to start, you know, site analysis or schematic design, you know, we kind of do it around the table together and we really um, cherish non-architects at the table hmm. and um, try to um, get more, more folks at the table while we're doing schematic design that would, have no idea what the process is supposed to look like, mm. you know, kind of like what we've learned in school or, or through the ARES or, or in the office, because um, there's lots of ways of, of doing it that are, that are different from that, you know, that aren't, aren't expected. Um, and so you, you get to learn um, really important lessons or, or see opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily see as early on. And so um, we like to to do it together, um, where 
you know, our expertise is, you know, is maybe Jan and I have more similar experience in how we might see something, but um, Heather and Walt have a, a also more of a, a kind of approach that's more um, aligned. And so we get to kind of talk through it, um, you know, but it's incredibly valuable. So how we do that, you know, we have to, we have to structure our projects in such a way that it supports that process. And we have to make it economical and we have to make sure that we're still in business tomorrow. Um, and so we build, we build our process into our contracts in a way that might be a little bit different from other folks. Um, we almost operate kind of like a hybrid nonprofit for profit firm, um, probably because of our, you know, early beginnings as a nonprofit organization kind of anchored in academia and, and funded through grant funding. Hmm. So many of our projects will actually help get the funding to hire us to do the design work. So we'll help write the grants, get the funding um, all the way through construction. So that that's pretty typical for us. Um, and that might be a little bit different from, hmm. from most kind of traditional architecture firms. Um, if you want to do, you know, certain passion projects, you have to find ways of, of funding it. And that's either through, you know, kind of pro bono work or it's through figuring out how to find the funding to pay for the work kind of, you know, as a traditional, you know, for profit organization. And that's what we've focused on. Hmm. Well, ha have you had a, is there a mountaintop moment that stands there for you guys? One time, one day, the best day in the last 10 years that's like, this is, this makes it worth it. Um, um, what would that be for? Well, for me personally, um, I would probably, I would say the day I passed the last ARE. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been a lots of really, you know, really fantastic moments, but that one was like, you know, you make, you set that goal 10 years ago, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. a, a 10 year goal that you kind of, I don't know, it, feel, it feels like an ending point and also a beginning kind of simultaneously. Hmm. Um, I think yeah. for me, it was the, it was the opening at the Cooper Hewitt with, um, because we all got to go to New York. It was just one of those perfect trips where we got to see some great architecture. We went to amazing restaurants. We, you know, Chris and Julian were both there. Um, the client was there. The, the show was full of phenomenal work. So just to be in the company, you know, that we were in that, that particular time, we don't apply for many um, design awards. So for us, it was the equivalent of like winning some major design award. Um, so it just had, there was a lot of satisfaction with it. It was, um, the show was for the people, um, Designing a Better America hmm. um, by... Um, for the people or by, by the people? By the people. By the people. Yeah, Designing hmm. a Better America. Um, so it was kind of like a, a public interest design show. Um, and the projects that we had there were the ones that we had worked on the longest um, on Pine Ridge. And so we had a really close relationship with the client. So it was just really fun um, to go there. And, and I... Um, brought my kids and, you know, we just spent some time in New York. It was just a great, a great experience. So. A nice time to just like revel in it. And, and it, 
I feel it, like that doesn't was. happen very often where, you it know, doesn't. you have the daily grind and, um, yeah. yeah. What's, 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 what's been the most difficult day? Have you had, is there a most difficult day that stands out or, or a story of the profession? Um, the first day. Ari? I would, no, <laughs> yeah. no. no, I think, I think it was all of last year. Yeah. If I'm hmm. completely honest, just because of, um, obviously the pandemic, I think a lot of people experienced, you know, true hardship at that point, um, from a business standpoint. Yeah. Um, we had th- three, all three of our on, or how many projects did we have going on? It was, it was our entire office on hold. Yeah. All the projects, they didn't get canceled or shut down, mm. but they did get put on hold, you know, kind of during the initial shutdown. Um, which was unlike any, um, you know, downturn that I'd been through previously. So, so, you know, I, I mean, I think in the past I've survived through some cycles. And so I had a certain, you know, feeling like we would, we would survive anything, you know, cause we kind of, but this looked very different from anything that, that we had done that we had experienced previously. So having all of the work put on hold at the same time had never happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a mix of project types that were funded through grants. So, you know, let's say the stock market crashes, but our projects are still going because it's not funded through kind of traditional banking system. So we've always been pretty resilient to downturns. Um, uh, But this was just different because it hit us the hardest because we couldn't be on site. You know, so Mm. um, we we'd always had a remote office kind of process. We have a, a mobile office, a sprinter van that we mm-hmm. take with us on site. So we were kind of used to remote work, but we weren't used to not being able to to meet with clients directly or or do community engagement. So we had to scramble. Um, and there was a three-month period where we had no cash flow and didn't know whether the projects would start up again. So I think there was a certain amount of like, foreboding that we just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, um, but, you know, we pivoted like, like everyone and um, we were pretty fortunate with the, with the SBA loans and, you know, the support that we got there and we made it through um, and some support from the local um, kind of Colorado AIA community um, mm-hmm. being able to, to kind of, you know, bounce ideas off of, of other folks that maybe um, had more experience or had seen things um, longer. Um, so that was really helpful and, and we kind of made it through. So in the end, it was very positive. Uh, but I think there was a period of, of everybody being pretty down um, for, you know, at least a month of that three-month period. And you were saying at that time before then you were looking at ramping up and, and, and growing pretty big. Is, yeah. Is that still yeah. the goal? I mean, it, it has to be hard where you've been these kind of well, group of four for a while. And what does that look like growth in the kind of future? So we had see, we had put aside um, some savings over the years that, that um, carried us through these hard times. Um, but it's gone. So we lost it um, in our survival mode. And so I think it was just a huge lesson. Um, thank, thankfully, we had it. But um, and that's maybe what it was for. But we had thought we were going to spend those resources on, you know, expanding the office, 
we rebuilt the office that we weren't able to use. So we put some money into that. Um, mm. And then we were going to hire and we had a hire ready to go. Mm. Um, and so all of that kind of went on hold. But like many people, that that happened or worse. You know, it, architecture is, um, I mean, most of us are pretty vulnerable, you know, day to day. It's at least the small firms, mm -hmm. you're pretty vulnerable because, you know, the market really controls whether we're up or down. Um, so one of our lessons was, you know, I think through that, we did a lot of internal planning and, and kind of office planning and strategic planning as a team. And we determined that we really needed to diversify and do some of our own development projects, which we've implemented this year. So hmm. we're doing um, three internal kind of uh, design build development projects. Hmm. Uh, where where we're doing it as the client and developer and architect kind of in-house. So we're we're expanding out of, you know, just having all of our work kind of in one segment and kind of moving into a more diverse uh, kind of group. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream. Uh, what, had that been in the in the pipeline for a while or did you quickly develop that? And no, it was not the pipeline. You knew how to do it and it, start going? It was... You know, uh, Jana passed her contractor's exam and mm. um, decided mm. to become a general contractor. And, um, you know, we just decided we needed to do it. We had time uh, on our hands. So, you know, we still met every day and and we maybe we weren't working on the projects that we thought we were going to be working on at that time. But we developed projects. We were pretty disciplined about it. We created a business plan. Um, did a lot of research and then kind of kept that going. Uh, and then all the projects came back. So um, they were all on top of each other in terms of the schedule as well, which was not ideal. Um, and, and of course, yeah. everybody was yeah. eager to have them go, completed. Go, go. Yeah. yeah, that's why that's why I said the whole year of yeah. 2020, because it yeah. was, yeah. you know, the initial kind of anxiety of, are we going to survive this to okay, we're going to survive, but now we have a lot to catch up on. Right. <laughs> Are we going to survive this? Yeah. Right. Because right. yeah. it was, you know, the it was a three-month delay, but I think that that three months, how it translated to with project completion was six to nine months, I would say. Yeah. So hmm. we're still, you know, kind of trying to wrap some of those up. And then starting new projects too. Yeah. Um, so we're, I think we're kind of on the tail end of that and starting to feel feel better. Um, which is so, but one of the things that uh, Adam, one of the things that we did is we we've dedicated Friday to internal projects. Hmm. So we don't we don't schedule meetings on Friday. We don't, um, you know, we don't have our our owner architect contractor meetings on Fridays. You know, everything else is occurring kind of Monday through Thursday, and then Fridays we're really focused on our own design build projects or development projects. Um, and just dedicating one day a week to it right now. Um, and then, you know, we'll see where that, where that leads. We also really want to work in Colorado. Um, yeah, believe it or not, we don't have any work currently. In Colorado. Yeah, we have no work in Colorado. Um, we have no, um, kind of connections in Colorado. So, so that's what we're focused on is, you know, a couple of local Colorado projects. So, so these new projects you're developing, is it, it, it residential or commercial or what, what, what's kind of the focus there? Is there so, a focus? Um, well, we're kind of, you know, we can't help but be kind of 
um, quirky and like the projects that we're interested in. <laughs> so we're interested in like, we're, we're developing a micro duplex project mm. that fits, you know, within the housing needs assessment for uh, the town of Taos. So we're working mm. on that in Taos. Um, that's kind of unusual. Um, nice. Not You know, you don't have a bunch of developers lining up for this type of project, <laughs> probably because there's no, there's no payday <laughs> there. Like a good architect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. uh, but it's really actually super fun and interesting. So we've got that in the works. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think, you know, our focus has always kind of been on residential. Well, not, you know, not exclusively, but we've done a lot of housing. And for me, I'm kind of, the more I've learned about and done projects that are kind of traditional houses, the more interested I am in um, kind of critiquing that or, mm -hmm. you know, kind of subverting a little bit and just like, yeah, criticizing and questioning why houses look the way that they do. Like, mm -hmm. why are there, why is a three bedroom house, you know, why, yeah. why are they even bedrooms? You know what I mean? Like even mm -hmm. asking those kind of fundamental questions. Um, so as, you know, as an architect and, that's like a very thesis oriented question. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. kind of, um, credit, you know, critical, I guess. And we get nice. to, since they're our projects and we don't yeah. have to necessarily worry about, um, or kind of, uh, consider we can other, experiment a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah, safely, safely, which we have always done on ourselves as opposed to on clients. Yes. Um, in your, in your 350, <laughs> 360 square feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, my house is still a huge experiment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, um, and then a couple of other projects, one of them is a prefab cabin project that we're um, kind of building prototypes for a little fun, little kind of remote cabin. Mm. And then, you know, a couple of others, one's a retreat center um, in Southern Colorado. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, you know, I, I look up to you guys for your ability to, you know, I think when we're in school or something, you know, we, we all want to sort of make the world a better place or, or, or mm -hmm. advocate for a better world. And, and it's, it's a difficult line to walk when you get in the profession and have it to is. pay the bills and, and um, focus on what you focus on or work for whoever you can work for. What what sort of advice do you have for for these idealistic students that I see every day of of trying to make the world better and when they when they get out of school? I mean, I'm going to be very um, idealistic with with my response. I think that you just can't take no for an answer. You've mm. got to follow through with the things that you're passionate about, um, and um, you know, question the status quo. Hmm. And really kind of look at changing the profession because there's no reason for us not to all be thriving and doing the work that we feel passionate about. Hmm. And in fact, that's the only thing that will change our situation. That's the only way we'll improve the world um, is if all of the folks that are um, graduating right now don't accept the status quo. You know, completely reject it and and um and i you know there so we have survived and i think kind of you know practice to our own um tune in a sense like we followed our own 
our own path. It's been very difficult and um, you have to, like anyone starting a, a firm, you have to be okay with uncertainty hmm. because you, you don't get to see too far down the, the road. Like you can see maybe a few months down the road, but you don't know what's going to happen six months from now. Um, and so you have to, at a certain, um, I mean, there's, there's just a certain amount of faith involved, I think, and hope that things will, will work out. And then you just keep working towards it. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I can answer this sort of as I'm still a young professional, so I'm still kind of in that question <laughs> that you're talking about. You know what I mean? But I think I we're think, all getting older. Yeah, you can't live it live there too much longer, Dana. No. Yeah, no. we're all yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've my you know my meeting Rob and staying committed to you know that com this company um, all the way you know through my career I think is unique, and I don't mm -hmm. think that there's lots of people that will have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I will say that. Um, there was, I had lots of pressures kind of along the way. Like, like I, I did a graduate, I did a um, thesis in grad school and I did a um, team thesis, which um, had never been done before. So I did it with two other classmates. Um, never will be done again. No. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're pretty committed to collaboration. Yeah, I, yeah. I am. That's true. Um, but, and you know, during our thesis, I got a fair amount of pressure from them to not work on Pyatt Studio stuff. You know what I mean? And then there were questions in my mind about, you know, if I was offered a job in Portland, would I take it? You know what I mean? Like all these questions. Mm -hmm. And I guess instinctually I kind of knew my frame of reference was small and it still sort of is, but instinctually I kind of knew that what I had was um, special, I guess, and unique. And so I kind of just listened to that instinct and followed through on it, um, which is not always an easy thing to do. But I think there's lots of pressures to be like, you need to work, you know, for for a large firm, and this mm. needs to be your salary, and mm -hmm. this is the traditional path. Um, and I think instinctually that didn't feel right to me. Um, Although I I would um, say that it's the projects I think that you were, I think that it's the work. Pyatt Studio is is made up of the team, but the work itself is really special. It's both. I think it's both because there's very few uh, was licensed two years ago and there's very few people who have been licensed for two years that are now an owner of a firm. That's very mm -hmm. uncommon. So I think it's both. The work is definitely very meaningful and the structure of the studio is really meaningful too. But I also think that um, I guess another piece of advice is that I would, I would say everyone has, um, something to offer. And so I think that I had a lot to offer Pyatt Studio. And I think Pyatt Studio was, um, had kind of open enough heart and an open enough mind to accept that. Um, so I think similar to what Rob's saying, if there's, if there's a firm that, you know, doesn't want to accept those offerings or those skills, then kind of reject it altogether. Mm -hmm. And find one that does or create one that does. Yeah. And find one that does and don't take no as an answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will come work for you. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you'll probably get a lot of applications after this after this podcast, so get ready. So uh, hopefully, we're in a position to you know to entertain hiring folks. Yeah. Hopefully, pretty soon. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Well, thanks, guys. I, I've you know it's been I've been I've known about you for a little while, and it's been great to talk more and meet you here. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing the work. Thanks for having us, Adam. Yeah, this um, was awesome. We we really appreciate the work that you're doing. In, in Colorado um, with this podcast and uh, we're fans. So thank you for doing it. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's show. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.